Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at uh, Christ the King Community Church. I want to welcome everybody here to our Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus, and a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're just really, really glad that you've chosen to be a part of our church on this particular day. Last weekend, we began a series called The Road Out. We're going to be in the book of Exodus for several months The word exodus literally means the road out. That's where the word actually comes from. And last weekend, we learned together that there was a group of people known as the Israelites, God's people. And they were being held captive as slaves in the nation of Egypt. And as they were there, because the the, the weight of their slavery was so unbelievably powerful in their lives, they cried out to God. And even though they didn't deserve to get a hearing from God because it was their own disobedience that put them there, they cried out to God and we learned together as a church family how God responded to them. Scripture told us that God heard them. That God remembered them. And because he remembered them, it meant he never ever forgot them. That he saw them and everything that was going on in their lives and that he was undeniably, unbelievably concerned about them. And then we celebrated it as a church because we realized the same response that God had for the Israelites, he has for us when it feels like we've been taken captive by our own sin. This week we're going to add to the story because into that captivity, into that slavery, into that Israelite nation, a Hebrew couple has a little baby, a baby boy by the name of Moses. From the instant Moses is born, his life is in danger because the Pharaoh of Egypt has made a decree. In order to try and get the Israelite population under control, he made a law that if a Hebrew baby, an Israelite baby, was born, that the baby was to be killed instantly. So when Moses' mom delivers this baby boy, she knows she's got to hide him. So she spends months hiding him each and every day. And the Bible tells a famous story of how one day without, you know, she doesn't know where else to hide him, so she makes a basket. And she lines it with tar, and then she puts her baby inside of it, and she actually hides the baby in the basket down by the river. And then she makes a fatal mistake. She puts the baby's big sister in charge. Now, the big sister drops the ball. It's just straight out. And I know the Bible tries to be very, very cool about the story. I actually think it's a little sketchy because I had a big sister and I knew how many times she tried to get rid of me, all right? But the Bible says that, uh, you know, the big sister's looking over the baby in the bulrushes and all of a sudden, mysteriously, the basket floats away, goes down the river, and is actually pulled out of the river by Pharaoh's daughter of all people. I told you the book of Exodus was like a soap opera. It is. I mean, all of a sudden, the Pharaoh's daughter has a hold of this Hebrew baby, and she decides, I better raise him as my own. And she actually gets the baby's real mother to come and be the caretaker. It's a crazy story. If you don't believe me, you can read it in uh, uh, the book of Exodus, or you can go rent the Prince of Egypt from from, uh, Disney. I would prefer that you read the Bible account first. It's far more accurate, okay? But one day, all of a sudden, we find Moses growing up as an undercover Hebrew in Egypt. And he just kind of continues his life along. He begins to work his way up through the system. And pretty soon he's got a position of leadership. One day he just loses it. He loses it because he sees an Egyptian slave driver beating one of his Hebrew brothers and sisters down. And he goes Jack Bauer on this guy and kills him. He kills him. And because of that, he has to flee to a place called Midian where he becomes a regular old boring shepherd. One day Moses is out watching over the sheep. And he notices a bush that is burning. But not really burning, 
Because even though it's burning like a butane bush, it's not going anywhere. And he doesn't ignore it. You know, it's funny. We read these stories and it's just like, yeah, I don't even know why that would capture his attention. It's a bush that's on fire, but it's not going anywhere. As if that wouldn't capture our attention if we saw that on the guide and we were driving by, right? Moses stops, goes over, and has a conversation with the bush. It's going to get better, okay? He has a conversation with the bush, and out of that conversation comes the call of Moses. Because God speaks through the burning bush, and this is exactly what God tells Moses to do. The Bible says this, So now go... I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says to Moses, you're the guy. The people need a leader, and you're it. And I can imagine Moses thinking, oh, no, I'm not. I lead sheep. I do not lead people. I'm not a leader. And this is ridiculous, because this is what you're saying, God. You're saying you want a guy who smells like sheep to walk into the palace of the most powerful human being on the face of the earth, the Pharaoh of Egypt, you want me to walk in there, look at him and say, excuse me, we're leaving. Let my people go. That's exactly what God wants him to do. I know Moses is thinking this, that this is a bit of a crazy deal, because from here on in the chapter we're going to read over the next couple of nights, uh, he starts making excuses, lots of them. I listed them for you in your outline. Here's the excuses that follow the call to action. Exodus 3.11 says this, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? What's the excuse in that sentence? Let me tell you what it is. His excuse is this, I'm a nobody. You got the wrong guy, God. I'm just a shepherd. I'm a murderer. I don't know if you noticed that whole thing that happened down in, in, in Egypt. I'm living in exile in the middle of nowhere. I'm a nobody. You need to pick somebody with a resume. You need somebody with a leadership track record. You need to pick somebody who looks like Charlton Heston. You need to pick somebody who's got a voice like James Earl Jones. You need somebody, and I'm a nobody. I'm insignificant. I'm not courageous. I'm not strong. I'm not able. So you have miscalculated this one completely Because I'm a nobody. God's answer to the nobody is simple. He says, but I'll be with you. And that should be enough. Moses isn't done, though. He throws another excuse. Exodus 4.1, Moses says this. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? I mean, what's his excuse here? I think it's this. I'm not convincing. Nobody's going to believe me, God. The people I'm supposed to lead are going to think I'm nuts. They're not going to follow me because my explanation is I'm your leader because a big voice came out of a bush and told me so. How do you think that would go for him? He says, I'm not a labor, a leader. I'm not going to be able to convince them with the story that a bush sent me. Now, we're actually going to come back to this excuse in a few moments. But Moses has another excuse as to why he doesn't have to do what God asked him to. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. His excuse is simple. I can't talk. I can't talk, God. I share a common phobia with most other people in the world. I'm terrified of public speaking. I can't talk. I stutter. I stumble on my words. I can't think quickly on my feet. 
Now I think Moses is actually on to something here. I mean, if most of us here at Bellingham or at Ferndale, if I just all of a sudden, you know, dragged you up front here and said, just start talking to him, for most of us, that's a terribly terrifying thing. You'd think I'd get used to it after doing it for eight years. I don't. I get freaked out every single time I put on the microphone. I think Moses is on to something here because the reality is this. People put a lot of weight in a leader's ability to speak. I was reading a psychological journey the other day. Uh, They did a specific experiment. They took a large number of people and said, we want you to pick between two people and choose whom you would have of these two people whom you would choose to lead you. Their first contact with this group of leaders, these two leaders, was actually resumes. They put the resumes in front of them. One man was unbelievably qualified for what they were asking him to do. The other guy was completely underqualified. And they asked this group of people, based on the resumes, who would you choose to follow? Over 90% picked the guy who had this amazing, stellar, phenomenal resume. And then they did an interesting thing. So we're going to take another poll, but we want you to listen to something first. And they played a two-minute prepared speech. One by the guy who had the amazing resume and the other by the guy who did not. The guy with the amazing resume had a stutter. The guy without the amazing resume was unbelievably smooth and eloquent. And when they did a second poll, 90% of the people who voted for the guy with the good resume and the stutter switched their vote to the underqualified guy just because he could talk better. The moral of the story is simple. You can be dumb, but if you can't talk, you're in. Now that freaks me out just a little bit, all right? I don't know exactly how to feel about that study because the reality is I talk for a living, right? I do. Moses says, I can't talk, and I don't have a resume. No one is going to listen to me. God's answer to this one is actually kind of funny. He basically says, Moses, who gave you your mouth? Who gave you your mouth? Because I'm going to speak, and I will teach you exactly what to say. Moses isn't done yet, though. He's got one more excuse. His excuse, Exodus 4.13, is this. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. That's a classic excuse right there. What's the excuse underneath of it? It's pretty simple. I don't want to. I don't want to. Find somebody else. I don't want to be a leader. Leading is scary. Leading is lonely. Leaders become targets. I have to make a confession. I've actually preached on Moses several times at Christ the King Community Church, and each time I probably didn't do him justice. I painted him as a bit of a goofball because the guy makes an unbelievable amount of mistakes. In recent days, after reading a lot more about Moses, I love this guy. I like it because I think I understand his world just a tiny little bit, and he's become an unbelievable great friend. If you lead anything, you get his hesitation. You understand his excuses. I have two favorite leadership quotes. I think Moses would agree with both of them. One says this, the only reason people put leaders on pedestals is so they can take better aim. Think about that one. 
The other one is this. Leadership is more complicated than brain surgery because at least in brain surgery, the people you're working with are sedated. All right? Think about that one for a second, right? Leadership's tough. Dealing with the hard stuff in your own life is tough. Dealing with it, dealing with it in somebody else's life, that's unbelievably tough as well. So Moses does something very human. He starts listing off excuses. And before we judge Moses and his, let's take a look at some of the excuses that we use to avoid the tough stuff. I listed in your outline our excuses to delay dealing with the hard stuff. How about this one? I don't have time. I'm too busy managing the wreckage in my life to actually deal with the wreckage. So we say the famous statement, I'll take care of it tomorrow, later on. At a different time. I don't have time to deal with the hard stuff. I'm most certainly not a leader. So here's my excuse. I don't have time. Here's the second excuse. It's too hard. I just don't want to deal with the pain of it. Life is easier when it's everybody else's fault. So I don't want to pick up the mirror and deal with my own issues. Instead, I'm just going to make myself the judge, jury, and executioner on everybody else's stuff. I mean, has anybody else noticed how easy it is to solve other people's problems? Isn't that amazing? You just sit down. Just do these four steps. Come on, get it together. It's not that big of a deal. Then you try applying those principles to your own. How about this excuse, number three? What will people think? What we're saying when we say that is, I've got an image to keep up. I can't afford to be weak. I I can't let anybody else see that I've got a crack in my perfect little world. When we say that, when we're bound by the thought that, that we're held hostage and taken captive by the idea that, that somehow people are going to judge us. What we're really saying is this. I care more about what people think than what God can do. We fool ourselves into saying, I can't go public. And because I can't go public, I'm going to choose to suffer in private, private and to isolate in my pain. How about this last excuse? I just don't want to. I'm lazy. I don't care. I don't feel like it. I have rights, and so I'm going to exercise my right to do absolutely nothing. I'm going to ignore the pain, ignore the issue. I'm not going. God, you can find somebody else to lead your little exodus out of my pain, but I'm certainly not leading it. Moses didn't want to lead it, and neither do I. You know what our excuses are? Our excuses are weak attempts to avoid the deeper issues that are holding us captive and they're what's keeping us from walking free on the road out of captivity. So Moses throws out four excuses, sandwiched right in the middle of them. Right between numbers two and three is an amazing moment. And we're actually going to backpedal and we're just going to stay there just for a little while. We're going to talk about it and then we're actually going to participate in it. Okay? God and Moses have a confrontation on the road out. This is listed in your outline. You can read along with me if you want to. Those of you here, Bellingham and Ferndale, or you can just listen because this is what the Bible says happens. Moses answered, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. And the Lord said to him, 
reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took a hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I'll tell you what, this confrontation is so unbelievably packed with meaning. God starts with a very simple question. Excuse me, Mr. Shepherd, what do you have in your hand? Uh, the thing that every shepherd carries in their hand? It's a staff to guide sheep and whack wolves with. It's a piece of wood, God. You made it, you should know, right? What's that in your hand? It was his identity. That's the answer to the question in your outline. What does the staff represent? It represents the way Moses sees himself. He's just a shepherd. He's just a simple, ordinary shepherd. What does it represent? The way Moses sees himself, that he's just a shepherd. The staff represents his identity. And Moses starts hiding behind it. I'm just a shepherd, God. We would do the same. I'm just a real estate agent. I'm just a mom. I'm just a person in Whatcom County. I'm just a compilation of a few gifts and abilities and a whole bunch of weaknesses and failures. I'm just a habit that I can't seem to break. I'm, I, I'm just a sinner. That's who I am, God. That, that, that's the identity that I hold closest to myself. I'm just an income or a lack of income. I'm a little bit of good stuff, a whole bunch of bad stuff. This is who I am, and this is who I hold to the tightest. This is what I hold on to, because this is me. And it kind of freaks me out that you'd point this out to me right now. But you asked a question, so here's the answer. Christ the King, what's in your hand? What are you holding on to with all of your strength, because you're terrified if you ever threw it down, that you would be nobody? All the good of who you are, all the bad of who you are. For some of us, it's the pornography addiction. This is what's in my hand. This is what I've become. For others, it's monumental success. This is who I am. I'm a success. Check out my 401k. What's in our hand is the very thing that God calls us to surrender, both the good and the bad. I thought growing up as a good church kid that I had all of this amazing, amazing good stuff in my life, and yet God still called me to surrender it and throw it down. It doesn't matter whether it's good or whether it's bad. God calls every single one of us to the exact same activity. Whatever you've got in your hand, whoever you believe yourself to be, you need to throw it down. Because who you think you are is not who God thinks you are. What does God ask Moses to do with the staff? He asks him to do something amazing. He asks him to throw it down. Now I want you to notice something about it. He doesn't ask him to lay it down because that's really nice, right? Just come and, just come and gently lay it down. Uh-uh. It's actually a violent word. 
I want you to take what you've got in your hand, who you believe yourself to be, and I want you to throw it down in front of me. Because we're going to start changing some things right here. He tells them, throw it down. Throw it all down. Throw everything down, Moses. Your identity, your flawed picture of who you are, because you think you're just a shepherd, but you're not just a shepherd. Throw it all down. Throw the names that you've assigned to yourself. Lost cause, hypocrite, success, all-star. Throw them down and surrender it all because in throwing down your life, you're going to die to yourself and you're going to start living the life that God intended for you. I mean, I find it fascinating in this chapter. God does not tell Moses, throw it down and then walk away. It's not what happens. It's often the pattern in Scripture to throw something down, to surrender something, to put something on the altar before God and then walk away. But that's not what God asked him to do this time. He says, I want you to throw it down completely and wholly, and then it turns into a snake. I do not like snakes. They freak me out. It becomes a snake, and Moses turns into a seventh grade girl. You know, ah! And just... Bible says he runs. I would have been right with him, you know, beating a path out of there. And then God says this, pick it back up again. That's easy for God to say, right? Excuse me? It's a snake. I know, grab it by the tail. At this point, we would have been done, you know? I'm out. Forget the excuses. I'm just finished right now. I don't do snakes. Moses summons up the courage deep inside of himself and he picks it back up. And the Bible says a miracle happens when he grabs it by the tail, turns right back into a long piece of wood. The same thing that he had in his hand minutes ago, but so unbelievably different. Because what Moses threw down is not what Moses picked up. What does Moses pick up? He picks up the new identity that God has given him. You're the leader, man. You're going to get out in front of millions of Hebrew children and you're going to walk them out of this captivity. You're not just a shepherd, Moses. You're chosen. You're God's. You're completely His. You're no longer how you see yourself. You are how God sees you and God says, you're the guy. You're the guy to break this captivity. You're the woman that's going to allow God to snap these chains off of you. You're the one who's going to walk free and be free. And even though you can't even picture yourself that way, you're it. And what you've got in your hand is living proof. Here's basically what Moses was being asked of by God. Are you willing to surrender it all? Are you willing to throw down the best and the worst of you? Are you willing to lay down the broken identity and picture you have of yourself and instead pick up the picture that God has for you? When God overlooks this room and when God overlooks the room in Ferndale, he does not see broken failures and sitters. He sees the object of the love that he has for you. 
He doesn't see you for who you once were. He sees you for who you can be. If you're willing to throw down whatever it is that you've got in your hand, what matters the most to you, and surrender it to him so that you can live a brand new life in Christ. Last week, as I listed off some of the steps of what it means to actually take the road out, the very first step that we talked about was actually acknowledging what you're in captivity to. I asked you to think about it for a week. Didn't ask anybody to do anything with it. Just ask whether or not you could be honest enough with yourself and actually say out loud what you are in captivity to. Because every human being I've ever met is in captivity to something. Here's my sheet for this week. I wrote on my little sheet here, I acknowledge that I'm in captivity to fear most of the time. What are people going to think? What if I don't know all the answers? What if people find out I'm completely clueless when it comes to leading this church? What if people actually figure out that behind the big voice is a tiny little insecure kid who's scared to death? What if you found out that my most terrifying moment of the week is Monday morning when the Sunday report comes out and I found out how many people were or weren't here? What if you found out that I'm in a good mood if lots of people were here and I'm in a lousy mood if our attendance was down? What if you found out that the so-called leader of Christ the King had his mood for the day determined by an attendance chart. What a tragedy that would be. I wrote something else on my little sheet, and these are going to make sense in a few minutes, but I put these blanks in your outline too because maybe you need to write something. Now. I wrote on the second line, today I see myself as inadequate. Completely and totally inadequate for the journey that God has called me to take. So I wrote a couple things on some pieces of paper. There's blanks in your outline if you'd like to write something down and have a courageous moment. You know how I've tried to deal with fear and inadequacy over the years? I just tried to work harder. I just kept trying to get it right. And here was the problem. I'd give my fear to God, and then I'd take it back. And then I'd give it to Him, and then I'd take it back. I'd hand over my inadequacy and say, once and for all, I'm going to live like a, like a redeemed and loved and forgiven child of God. And then a week later, I'd run back and get my piece of paper and go, this is still mine. And all the while, God kept calling me to let go of my old identity and to throw it down so that I could pick up a new identity. One that would say, like it said to Moses, you're not inadequate. 
You're human. You're not a coward. You're a person. You're not afraid. You're actually terrified. But it's okay. As long as that fear is a deep abiding respect from the God who's both with you and for you. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of just talking about it, we're actually going to do it. Exactly what Moses did. You know what you got in your hand right now? You've got an outline with two blanks in it. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to take that in your hand and do something with it. Now, I need you to take your outline home, because hopefully some of you actually go back and check it out, see whether or not I'm lying to you or not. So we got you one better. There are tables across the front here at Bellingham. There's tables in front of each section. Ferndale, there's tables up in front of your sections as well, where you are. And on those tables are pieces of paper that have the two statements that I just read. I acknowledge that I'm in captivity too. And today I see myself as. And in a moment, here's what's going to happen. Here at Bellingham, Ferndale, we're going to do exactly the same thing. But in a moment, we're going to worship together. And I'm going to ask you to do something unbelievably courageous. I'm going to ask you to move to one of those tables. Fill in those two blanks. And then I'm going to ask you to march it up here and throw it down at the foot of the cross. To throw it down, whatever it is, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it's something that's held you captive for a week or your whole life, whether it's a deep-seated insecurity or maybe it's the pride that's gotten in the way, thinking you're all of that and that you don't need God for anything. I have no idea what it is. I just shared mine with you. Moses shared us, or, or his, with us. And now we have a moment to enter in and to do exactly what Moses did, knowing that God's going to meet us here. Because when we acknowledge it and we say it out loud, God screams from heaven, I hear you. I haven't forgotten you. I see you. I'm deeply concerned about you. And we're going to make sure we do it all the way biblical. Because we're not just going to throw a bunch of stuff up here and then go back to our seats with the same thing. Uh Uh-uh. We're going to do this the whole way. So you're going to slip out of your seat if God tells you to. You're going to come and fill out two words. You're going to crumple it up. You're going to throw it at the foot of the cross. And then I'm going to ask you to step to the left and to the right. Same thing in Ferndale, to the left and to the right. Because there's going to be some pastors standing up here at the front with a small piece of paper that has written on it your identity according to the holy, perfect, and pure, and prophetic word of God. Because who you think you are is not who God says you are. Let me try that one more time. Who you think you are is not who God says you are. And so we have an opportunity to do this right. So you're going to write. You're going to throw. You're going to receive. 
And we're going to do it all while we're worshiping. And let me tell you why. Exodus chapter 4 shares with us the result of this crucial confrontation. The Bible says this. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything that God had said to Moses. He performed the signs before the people, and they believed. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped This is as biblical as I can get. So in a moment, when Pastor Mike starts to play here, when Aaliyah starts to play in Ferndale, we're going to have a moment. Let me just tell you something about the moment. It's not a contest. It's not a how fast can I get to the front so that everybody sees me and thinks that I'm really, really holy in the moment. Maybe you need to throw that down right now. We're going to have a couple of songs. And if God says, go, be like Moses and go. It's not between me and you. It's between you and him. And this is what I know about him. He sees you. He hears you. He has never forgotten you. And he is deeply concerned about you. If somebody needs to get by where you're sitting, would you make it easy for them? Because it's probably taken a lot of courage for them to get up out of their seat. This might be for all of us. It might be for some of us. But let's have a moment right now. And if God tells you to go, don't make an excuse. Come and throw it down at the foot of the cross and receive your new identity in Jesus. So I'm going to turn Ferndale over to Pastor Rich right now. As you guys enter into this moment, I'm going to ask Pastor Melanie and Denny and JD. They're going to come and help me up here at the front as well. Mike, would you lead us? And if God tells you to come, you come.